my name's Cal Champagne. Um, that name will be a bit familiar with some of you because my, my parents, Sharon and John, have been kicking around in the permaculture scene for, for a few years now. Um, so I've, uh, because of that, been part of the permaculture scene since I was three. In saying that, this is my first ever permaculture convergence. Uh, so I'm very happy, happy to be here. Um, and it's an honour to be here presenting on behalf of Green Connects. I'm going to tell this, the, the story of Green Connect, and, a, and it's quite a big story to tell. I, I do a lot of talking, uh, a little bit of talking on, on Green Connect, but generally it's just a five or ten minute slot at, at a launch or um, at, at kind of a media gig. So when I learned that I've got 45 minutes, I got really excited about all the things I could... Um, I could nerd out on, knowing that I'm speaking to an audience that understands a little bit about permaculture. Uh, but then when I got all my ideas down, I, I thought, I'm not going to get through that in 45 minutes. So I had to strip it back. And in stripping it back, I had to ask, uh, what, what does this story actually have to offer people that they can't get from elsewhere? So there's going to be people in this room who are better market, market gardeners than us, people who are better food forest managers, better animal carers, better designers and better educators than we are. I think what the Green Connect story has to offer people that uh, is, is perhaps difficult to find elsewhere is the story of, you know, um, good ideas are everywhere, they're not hard to come by. But finding a group of people who can take a good idea and say, we're going to take responsibility to making that a reality is quite rare. So this story is about that group of people, how we took it from an idea to a, to a reality, and how we've created um, a model that is environmentally, socially, and financially sustainable. I don't need to give, give the, the overview of what Green Connect is. I can do that just by standing here talking in my monotone, but it's probably better that I hand it over to, to people who are, are much more um, articulate and charismatic than me and better at technology than me. Uh, so here's a few words from our, our founder, the articulate Jess Moore, and um, the incredible, incredibly charismatic Emmanuel Bakenga, who's our, our um, staff support worker. Illawarra really grew out of the development of mining and manufacturing, particularly coal and steel. Uh, these were industries that created jobs, uh, but also had big impacts on the environment. And today these industries are shedding jobs and the region has one of the highest unemployment rates in Australia. So Green Connect really set up to create green jobs. So we work in waste recovery and fair food, by which we mean food that's good for those who eat it, those who grow it and the planet. And we employ former refugees and young people, groups that find it particularly hard to get a job in our community. At Green Connect, I work as a staff support worker and the volunteer coordinator uh, because we employ refugees who uh, haven't worked in Australia and uh, this country is actually new to them. Everything is new, the culture is new, so they struggle to know what to do next. They struggle with the English. So my job is to start that journey with them and uh, provide um, a lot of different support to our employees. So Australia-wide, 
90% of refugees have a job five years after resettlement. Uh, and for young people, it always sits at basically double the regional unemployment rate. So in the suburbs where we're working, Port Kembla and Warrawong, that's 24 to 36%. So with every season, Green Connect does a big event with the local community. So today we've got about 130 people here. Uh, probably uh, half are people connected to Green Connect in some way. So people who work for us, their kids, their families, um, and the rest are people from the, the local community, people interested in food. food. Community Day, uh, it's, a, it's a great day for Green Connect and not just Green Connect, even the community. It's a day where we want to show people what we do and uh, it's when we ask people for their support. Like once people know what we do, that's why people provide their support. But also we want our community to get to know each other. Like we want to create, we want to create an environment where we know our neighbours, we know who lives in our community. And this is an opportunity for people to come and get to know each other, get to mingle together, and also learn from what we do because we want to give our knowledge on how we grow chemical free food to the whole community so that the whole of Wollongong, Illawarra, New South Wales, or even Australia can grow healthy food. I, uh, I inherited a lot from my father, and, and one of them was my IT skills. So Green Connect is a, a social enterprise that creates jobs and employment pathways for young people and former refugees, and we do this in sustainable industries. So we work in, in waste management and waste recovery. Uh, Jackie, can you put your hand up? So Jackie manages this, this part of the enterprise. We work in supportive labour hire and we work in fair food and, and that's the area that I do and probably mostly what, what we're going to be talking about today. I use the word social enterprise. Um, this has kind of a range of different definitions. The definition that we use is we, we say that we are a not-for-profit that uses a business model to create social change. So. We're not, a, we're not a charity, we're not reliant on external funding to, to create our so social outcomes. We run sustainable businesses where we pay our staff, uh, cover our costs and help to develop the local community. In this way, the people we work with, uh, our target groups are young people and former refugees. They're not our clients, we're not helping them out. They're our, they're our staff and we're supporting them into the Australian workforce. Um, so why, why former refugees and young people? Jess kind of mentioned in, in that video before that these are two groups that have specific barriers to employment within the Illawarra. Um, and in our experience, they're two incredibly different, different demographics. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later when introducing some of our staff. So the biggest part of our work, and, and this is where we started, is waste management and waste recovery. So we work a lot of, a lot of uh, festivals and events and we contract to different businesses, and Jackie, jump in if, if, if you feel like you want to, um, to manage their waste stream. 
basically the business logic is that it costs a lot more to throw waste into landfill than it does to recycle it or put it into organics. So businesses work with us to shift their waste from the, the landfill stream into other streams. Because this is a really um, hands-on process and because labour is so expensive in Australia and people typically prefer technical solutions rather than human intensive solutions, uh, Green Connect occupies a little bit of a niche where we have an incentive to employ people to do really um, hands-on jobs. So this is where a lot of our staff enter, enter our workforce, working in a lot of these, a lot of these, um, these events and for different businesses. Um, it's also part of the business where you can basically learn a job with zero English. So we do everything, we can get people sorting waste and diverting waste, sometimes up to sort of, in audits, like up to 72 categories of waste without almost a word of English. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna say that. Um, uh, th this work is, is very casual and it's typically seasonal. A lot of festivals happen around, around summer, so Jackie's just finished the most intense summer of her life. Um, a lot of our staff want more work and want more experience in the Australian workforce. So, n as identifying this need, Green Connect established a supportive labour hire um, section to our, to our business where we work with other local businesses that need short-term casual workforce but don't want to deal with the, with the HR and all the stuff that goes along with employing people. So they contract Green Connect to um, introduce their staff into their workforce and we manage all the support and all the, all the HR that, that's needed to get someone, particularly someone who has little English, in, into the workforce. The third, third part of our enterprise is fair food, and this is admittedly the smallest. Um, we've been doing it for, for four years, so we manage a 12-acre urban farm adjacent to Warrawong High School. On this farm, we've got one and a half acres of, of commercial market garden. Uh, we've got three acres of perennial food forest, where we've got over 300 fruit trees, uh, and we've got a big... Um, bush regener regeneration project along the creek line where we've planted over 4,000 native trees, shrubs and grasses. We've got pigs and we have in the past had chickens running through our systems to do some of the management for us. This is mostly what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the way we farm, uh, how we established it and how we sell it, which is a big part of what we do. We're, we're feeding over 120 households in the Illawarra with weekly veggie boxes, as well as a number of commercial restaurants and cafes. But I just, because this is a, uh, as I said, I want to tell the story, um, not just the, the pitch. Uh, I want to tell a bit about the story about how this, how this um, happened, because it, it's quite unique. So who here has never been to Wollongong? What are some of the stereotypes associated with Wollongong? Yeah, so typically it's like, yeah, typically it's unemployment capital of New South Wales, industrial hole, uh, council corruption. So th this, is, this is kind of the context that, that this project came from. Um, in permaculture, we talk about edge, the importance of edge, using edge and valuing the marginal. And Wollongong is definitely that edge. Geographically uh, adjacent, just below Sydney, um, 
and historically built on heavy industry, notably coal and mice steel. Um, it was deforested when European settlement came, taking all the red cedars and shipping them to Sydney. Then coal came, then steel came. Steel brought a lot of people to the region. It did really good things. It brought a lot of post-war migrants from Macedonia, Malta, Italy. Um, but it's a classic boom and bust economy story where the steelworks rose, it was pumping, did heaps of environmental degradation as it was there, and then it shipped off overseas, mass unemployment, which we're now inheriting, both the environmental cost and the human cost. Just quickly, there's a lot of cross-pollination between permaculture in the Illawarra and permaculture on the far south coast. That's where a lot of the initial education happened. Um, I just want to, up, up the top left is the North Wollongong Community Garden. When we talk about uh, points, of, hubs of connectivity, this is kind of the, the mother garden of the Illawarra permaculture scene. So comfrey is the biggest ingredient in all our composts. All the comfrey in Wollongong permaculture comes from this garden at, at some point in time. It's been probably passed through 13 properties before it gets there, but this is, this is where it all comes from. Um, in in the, the top right-hand corner is, is Permablitz the Gong. So uh, Jackie's here and Shez and if you put your hand up, and I don't know if Beck's here. Beck's over here too. Yeah, so we've got a few celebrities. Um, sorry, I cut your head off, Shez. <laughs> that was unintentional. Uh, so, so this was this was an urban response to response to um, to what was happening in the Illawarra using permaculture. Uh, to the bottom left is this is Warrawong High School's permaculture garden, and and Aaron, if you want to put your hand up. So Aaron's going to be talking either after this or or further into into the afternoon. Um, and Aaron's been working in school gardens in the Illawarra using permaculture for 15 years. Um, 15 years ago, you know, we talk about environmental degradation and post-industrial shithole now. 15 years ago, it, it would have been even worse. And Aaron started his work uh, at Cringilla Primary School Garden. It became so successful as an engagement model for, for disengaged young people in a primary school that was... Uh, you know, adversely affected by everything that was going on around it. It became so successful that that idea got exported to all the surrounding primary schools and then eventually Warrawong High School wanted that program to come to there, uh, establishing Australia's first permaculture-based high school program. Don't reference that, I'm, I'm assuming that, but you can argue with me about it later. Um, and that, that, that project and the link between that and the farm, which is now over the fence from the Warong High School garden, is something that I'm going to be talking about through this, through this talk. Um, I, I spoke about social enterprise before, and social enterprise is a response to community needs. So um, in 2011, two social enterprises popped up in the Illawarra responding in some way to local unemployment. So Green Connect uh, was an organisation that, well, was a social enterprise that aimed to work in waste recovery, specifically with former refugees uh, who, who had huge unemployment barriers. And to the right, Urban Grown 
was looking at young people at risk of intergenerational unemployment. So these are kids whose parents have never worked, so they were completely disengaged with Australian workplace culture. There was a link between this, this need to look at youth unemployment and what was going on at, at Warrawong High School with the engagement model. And the principal at the time uh, saw the success of Warrawong High School, saw the, uh, the, um, the need for uh, an employment pathway and handed over 12 acres of land adjacent to the high school to a group called Urban Grown to aim to create a social enterprise in growing fair food um, and which, yeah, which used permaculture as its basis. Fast forward two, two years down the track and, you know, social enterprises are full of great ideas but it's a hard, hard job making that become financially viable. Green Connect did that really well under the management of, of Jess who was in that video. Urban Grown didn't quite achieve uh, what it was out to do and by late 2013 that was going into liquidation. Um, they'd established a small garden which is about half of what you can see there. That, that was actually the area was, was 2014. Um, and so a few things happened at the same time where in late 2013 um, Elemental Permaculture, which is, which is Aaron and, and his business partners Dan's um, design business and education business, was holding their first ever um, permaculture design course. On that course was, was Jackie Beck Shez from Permablitz. I was behind the scenes. Jess, our general manager, was on that course as a student. And us and another, yeah, and Will and, and Bron, who, uh, they don't have photos, so, so they do. Um, yeah, so a group of seven of us got together at looking at this land over the hill and saying, oh, wouldn't it be great to, to take on that farm as a project? Uh, the, the precursor to this was that Jess had just done a survey of all our staff and, and we had a hundred, around a hundred at the time, or all former refugees, saying, what work do you want to do in Australia? Overwhelmingly, they said, we want to farm. This is not surprising because most of them came from situations where all they could do was farm. That, that was the only work that they could do. That's what they felt comfortable with um, and that's what they wanted to do. So. Jess was kind of out looking for, for land and for a potential project to extend to Green Connect when the seven of us met. Uh, when we met, we kind of formed an agreement that yes, the seven of us will take responsibility for this farm. Uh, we, we spoke to the, the, the previous owners and we're really grateful that they decided to hand over the keys. We inherited a, a small garden up the top, uh, a few shipping containers, a two-ton excavator and about 300 bucks. <laughs> no, no, the excavator was the, that was the godsend that, that made it all happen and you'll see that some of the, some of the earthworks later. Um, so with that 300 bucks we put it straight into, into seedlings uh, because we, we needed to start growing and selling as soon as possible. We started harvesting what was there and creating compost and, and building soil. Um, and we started selling to local restaurants, started specialising in salad mix because we were like, oh, salad mix is 16 bucks a kilo. Must be easy. 
it's not easy. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but that kind of that kind of uh, took took us took took us to where we needed to be. Um, this is this is a, a pretty recent slide. Um, anyway, it, it was really when when the VED, we got a tiny bit of philanthropic funding uh, to to pay some after school jobs kids to do internships through us. Um, and it was really when we got the CSA-style VegBox program happening that we started to really start to self-fund. I started to be properly employed as, as the farm manager and we started employing a bunch of highly skilled former refugees to be senior farmhands. Um, this is... So th these two designs are kind of overlap... They have overlapping content. It, it's going to be really hard for you to see... Um, Basically, the, 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 the most obvious feature of this site is the, the two adjoining creek lines that run through it. Um, this makes it incredibly beautiful because we've got constant water flowing through the site. Uh, it also makes it incredibly hard to farm because there's three very distinct hills. It's a very steep landscape. Um, it's very spatially spread out. Now that I'm looking at that, I should point out one of the first questions people are going to ask is, is your soil contaminated because you're so close to industry? Uh, the answer is no. We've had three independent um, inspections of our soil, but the water that flows through the creek line is. So, so we're, not, we're not allowed to pump from that creek line uh, because it's still, it's still coming off the roads. Uh, this... Look, this is a spatial arrangement. It's, it's not the most beautiful design you'll ever see. What it does is it gives us something to use from a management point of view. Uh, because when you're managing a 12-acre farm with, with a small workforce, it's good to segregate the, the different um, management responsibilities. So that you, you can see the, there's market garden, then there's semi-commercial food forest, then there's non-commercial bush regeneration. The biggest part of which is the, the 20 metre buffer, buffer zone that goes either side of the creek line. Uh, there's then pasture. Basically, the, the, one of the key features is that this line that, that runs through here and the same on the other side, they're key line swales. The one on this side goes uh, 140 metres. The one on this side goes 80, 80 metres. Uh, they both drop three metres and two metres respectively. Basically that, that funnels water from the, the moist valleys across to the, the dry ridges. Um, but more importantly, that our blue line runs through there, so our irrigation line runs through there. Everything below that is intensive, intensively farmed market garden and irrigated market garden. Everything above that is a permaculture food forest. So it's, cut, it's planted, it's cared for a little bit, and then it's on its own. Um, I'll talk a bit more about the food forest later. This is uh, structures and services, which, you know, it's fencing, roads. Um, a lot of this is still dreaming. You know, Green Connect's office, the dream is to have that down the bottom. We've got access to a residential, um, a residential property. That's not happening yet. Um, we're currently off, off mains water, so water that comes through the school from, from the main system. But we do have plans to get tanks off the school roof so that we can harvest our own water and, and use rainwater. So the market garden gets the bulk of our attention at the moment because we're, 
that's what we're trading from. Um, we have this little picture here is not to display my artistic ability. Uh, it's, it's purely a management tool. So we've got, we do our beds in, in 12, 12 linear metres, that one of those to the right of EMU is a 12 linear metre bed. Um, we have 300 of those beds on site. We separate them in 50 metre blocks, that's what this is. They're 50, uh, 50 bed blocks, sorry. So we're planting, we're transitioning planting and then maintaining 50 beds a month and there's a six, rotation, six month rotation for this. So that's five months of cropping, one month of animals going through and, and rejuvenating the soil. Um, within those, yeah, that, that didn't come up. That was to remind me to talk of my planting schedules, which I'm not going to. But basically with, within that, um, there's an internal rotation uh, where we block those 50 beds into five different groups of 10 beds and we rotate uh, sequentially from leafy greens, flowering vegetables one, flowering vegetables two, roots and alliums, legumes, and then back to the start. We separate our crops either into a 20-week harvest or a 10-week harvest, and in the 10-week harvest we get two crops out of it. Um, if you could have, yeah, if you could have seen the planting schedule, you would have seen the detail. Um, this, this is our calendar, which is just... Wherever we can, we try not to employ me and we try to employ Sume or, or someone else. Um, so this, this management calendar is really, um, is really a way, a communication tool to communicate what needs to happen to our staff so that they can get to the site if, if I'm not there for some reason and know what they need to do. And they can start to get in tuned into the patterns of, of what's happening. I've got this photo in here because I, I had to go down to Melbourne for a funeral last year and I handed Sume the responsibility of doing the 50 beds planting for the week. Um, she recorded everything I said during the meeting that I had with her, took it home, got her daughter to transcribe it into Kareni um, and did an amazing job. And so this, this is six weeks growth. Um, and you can see what, what we've done in terms of earthworks here. The way we sell our produce is, is through a weekly veg box. There's a whole story to that. I don't think I will go into that today. Um, it's been a huge social research experiment, uh, but I, I still maintain we're, we're supplying 120 families with their weekly, weekly veg. We're, we're turning $4,000 a week, which, which is quite significant. Um, and I, I still maintain that the CSA model is the, the best way to support farmers. Uh, again, that's some communication tool. This is some, we do sell to restaurants and cafes. Um, salad mix, which Josh there is mixing, uh, has been the most successful because that's something that some restaurants go through 12, 12 kilos a week at $16 a kilo. So that's almost a $200 order and, and it's, it's just the one thing. So you're not, it's not too much admi administration. We've got fox issues at the moment, so don't have chickens, but we do have pigs that pulse through our, our market garden system to cultivate the soil. It's been a bit of a, um, a research experiment. Uh, we do, the ones on the left, they're a heritage meat pig. Uh, the ones to the right, they're my best mates, that's Antonio and Elizabeth. Um, they're, they're pets on the farm and they, 
They're actually a year old now, and they've kind of retired to the food forest uh, while the young ones kind of take care of the market garden system. This is how we use electric fencing to get them into the market garden. Um, that's Jacob there feeding them, and basically they'll, they'll smash that in, in 10 days and we'll move them on. Uh, yes, there is a little bit lost by them smashing the beds uh, and us having to rebuild them, but the labour it takes to rebuild them is much less than what it would take to clear all the weeds, um, loosen up the soil, fertilise the soil, etc, etc. Uh, this, this is how we sell their products. Uh, and again, it, it's through pre-orders as much as possible so that we're not standing there with a bulk of produce and needing to sell it. it it's already going to, a, going to a home. I'm not going to go into the food forest uh, too much. It, it's, it's very loose. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's mostly subtropical stuff. We're growing 16 varieties of, of perennial, perennial um, plants. Uh, and the bush regeneration project that's going on, the, on in the creek line uh, is all about bringing back the indigenous rainforest, which is known as the, the Berkeley brush, along that creek line, giving us biodiversity uh, surrounding and on the perimeters of our market garden. We don't, talk, we don't talk that much about permaculture. We don't talk about organics. Um, we don't talk about bio, bio, biodynamics. Um, the, the term we use is fair food because we think this is the most holistic because it's about fair for the environment, um, fair for the people who eat it and fair for the people who grow it. I think we've all got our heads around fair for the environment. We've been talking about it since Rachel Carson's. Um, we know that what we're currently doing in our food system is pretty bad and we know what we can do to, to, make, it, to make it better. Good for the people who eat it. Some people are really into that. There's obviously the health benefit of, of eating fresh food, and ours is fresh, fresh, in that it's picked the morning that it, it lands on the customer's doorstep. But when we talk about fair for those who, uh, who eat it, we're also talking about promoting um, food literacy in our community. And this is, these are two examples of the weekly letter that, that I put in the veg box, which, um, you know, some people are so ingrained in what they eat that they won't tend. No, no, I skimmed through that five minutes. Eh? Um, they're so ingrained in, in their eating habits that they're very hesitant to try new things. But when you put something in, uh, include a little insert and a recipe about how to eat it, it turns it from something that's very um, foreign and scary to something that's very intriguing and exciting. And our whole communications are based around not... We're not going to com compete with Coles. We're not going to compete with these multi-farm CSAs that are coming up where they're picking and choosing vegetables from other farms. Um, we're gonna say, look, seasonal eating can be challenging, but it's a fun thing to be a part of. This, yeah, this is where I think Green Connect is probably um, gaining the most ground. Uh, I don't think we think about the people who grow our food enough. Um, it's incredibly unsexy to talk about award wages. Uh, but it's something that Green Connect has to do because when people talk about cheap food, um, they're talking about food that, yes, is cheap for them as the customer, but someone's getting ripped off along that supply chain uh, and it's probably the person who's growing it. Um, so 
yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a little video to end it, which is really about um, the, the refugee community that we work with and their experiences of working on the farm. I did just want to quickly point out um, Jacob on the left. So he's, this is kind of, I've cut myself out of the picture, but this is probably my proudest moment. So I met Jacob at Aaron's um, school garden in Warrawong when I think he was in year eight, so he would have been 14. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into how he was, but let's just say his medication hadn't been sorted at that stage. Um, his favourite hobby was going into the hills, grabbing brown snakes and bringing them back to the housing commissions where he lived. Um, this is a photo taken... Uh, a month ago when he gained full-time employment as a scaffolder. So um, f for, for me, it's not, you know, in terms of social impact, he's not going to become a, a, an organic farmer. He's probably not going to talk about permaculture, but you know what, he's going to get out of the housing commission suburb where he grew up. Uh, he's going to get away from the environment where he's surrounded by drugs and, and family violence and whatever else. Uh, and he's now renting a, renting a house outside of that and he's got an income to support himself. Uh, I'm going to show a very quick video. <laughs> and yeah, you, you all know this is... You all know where this is going. Okay, I need to do that again. I, I was going to watch um, the rest of this uh, Sim Mobile Infinite commercial but I'm going to start watching this again. This is something that was filmed last winter. Shot on, uh, it was shown on Landcare and it got a huge amount of landline and it got a huge amount of interest in, in our project. And this is just a, a little clip of it, um, but it's, it's the real important clip. Looking at its abundant terraces now, it's hard to imagine a site once overrun with lantana and prone to flooding. It's a really steep site which is kind of why it was left idle for so long. Yeah. You couldn't build houses on this, and it's also not considered agriculture land. So we've done heaps of work terracing the site so that it can actually be navigated with a wheelbarrow. Uh, and doing that also means that we can make the most of the water that falls onto the site. Yeah. So it's kind of by making these terraces up high, it means we're passively irrigating these market gardens below towards the creek line. The Green Connect site is on land next to the Warrawong High School and is near the once thriving Blue Scope Steelworks. The sprawling industrial complex still dominates Port Kembla's skyline, but it's no longer the region's economic powerhouse. Its future is clouded in uncertainty. The Illawarra really grew out of the development of mining and manufacturing, particularly coal and steel. Uh, these were industries that created jobs, uh, but also had big impacts on the environment. And today these industries are shedding jobs and the region's got one of the highest unemployment rates in Australia. And that makes life harder. And it's particularly harder for some groups. So uh, for former refugees, Australia-wide, only 31% have a job five years after resettlement. Um, and in an area where you've got higher unemployment, that rate's going to be worse. Mm. Uh, for young people living in the suburbs where we work, unemployment is 22 to 36%. Yeah. General Manager Jess Moore says Green Connect will continue to expand its urban farm, transforming the landscape 
and the lives of the people it employs. There's so many barriers when a refugee first comes to Australia in terms of employment. So apart from the very obvious, you know, learning English, learning how to catch a train or drive a car, um, a lot of refugees have never had either a paid employment experience at all because they've always lived in a refugee camp or they've never had an employment experience like working in Australia. So we chose to work in industries um, where a lot of our, a lot of former refugees are really skilled. So, you know, chemical free farming, a lot of refugees were subsistence farmers before they came to Australia. Uh, and we wanted to give them the opportunity to share their knowledge and skills. It's a real, we see it as a real exchange. Australians aren't great at chemical free farming in general. Uh, a lot of former refugees are, and it's an opportunity for, while refugees are learning the language, learning about working in Australia, they're also making an incredibly meaningful contribution in terms of sharing their skills. Two big ones first. Yeah. Are they all in the same area? Sume and Emu are Kareni refugees. They lived in a United Nations-run camp on the Thai-Burma border before they were given humanitarian visas by Australia in 2007. So these little guys, Antonio and Elizabeth, I can't remember which one is which, and they're Kuni Kuni pigs, and we're just going to give them a bit of feed. Just half. Just half? Cool. Before coming to Australia, Emu lived every day of his first 17 years in the refugee camp. His only work experience was growing food for his family. So what are the best parts of working here? I would say three things. The first one is happiness. The second one is uh, gives some uh, income. And then the third one is knowledge. Yeah. So because I say happiness because working here helped me to like uh, make, meet a new friends, new people. So instead of like a with our job, we stay home and it me feel like isolated and feel bad about yourself. So working in give me happiness. So also I can earn some money so, to, so I can support my family, myself, to buy something I love. <laughs> and also give me some knowledge on how to grow healthy vegetables and also help the environment. After working here, would you like to start your own market garden? Yeah, I would love to, but it's not easy to get a land here. But if we have, we were given a land, I would love to. Uh, is that still? Um, so Green Connect employs 89 st supported staff, so that's former refugees and young people. A lot of that's very casual, um, so a, lo a lot of them will only have a couple of shifts a year in... in um, in, in the waste management services. Uh, some of them will work 25 hours a week throughout the year, uh, it depends. The farm itself has 160 hours of employment. Um, because we want to give a lot of people opportunities, uh, that's spread out. So we, I think we have 12 different staff. Uh, some of them work 20 hours a week. Some of them, especially the young people coming from the school, will only work three, a three-hour shift a week. Um, that's a question we get asked heaps. Jack, Jackie and I just laughed. Uh, and the answer we give is this is what one community's response to, to unemployment and environmental degradation. Other communities will have uh, a completely different response or 
you know, articulation of, of what they want to do. Um, I think we've developed a lot of a lot of models that we're very happy to share with other people. Um, some of our market gardening models, Jackie's a whiz on, on databases and, and establishing processes. Uh, in a way, we've we've sometimes we talk about taking good good ideas and nice ideas and putting them into a professional context. I think that's something that we can really offer other people. Uh, but in terms of uh, yeah, in, in terms of moving it from one place to the other, uh, I don't think it's quite that simple. Uh, the second one, because growing seasonal food, selling seasonal food is hard enough as it is. Um, we, have, we have parts of the farm that some of our staff will grow, grow their own food on. Um, and, and when things are particularly successful, we have conversations about uh, moving that out into other parts of the farm. But no, we, we grew okra because we had some African staff who really wanted it, uh, and it does grow incredibly well, but people just will stop subscribing to the box if we put that in every week. What I, what I will say is that, and I said it was a big social research experiment, uh, what I have found about people is they love diversity, they love variety, but they have a very short tolerance for it. Um, at the end of the day, they want to go back to that, that food that you know, came on the first fleet. Um, yeah, so there, there's some really good examples where um, using that, that insert and the recipe thing has turned something from a really weird thing to a really exciting thing. One example is, is sweet potato leaf, where we grow sweet potatoes prolifically in the Illawarra and they have these incredible leaves. One day I got to the farm and Sume was, was um, cutting them and bunching them and I said, what are you doing? Uh, and she said, oh, I'll take them home to eat them as a spinach. And when you cut and bunch them, they do just look like spinach and they taste like spinach. So the next week we cut and bunched 120 and put them in the veg boxes with a little recipe on how to use them and, and the story of how Sume grew them in the camps and, and what it meant to her. Thank, thanks, everyone. Yeah.